the, the name of this collection is called Context. And I am a big context guy. Things matter in context. Sometimes when they're drawn out of context, it, it, you, it means no, nothing, and then, you know, everything can fall apart. And sometimes conflict, you know, our context uh, feels, uh, is a good thing. So a couple weeks, as you know, I was in Orlando. We went to Animal Kingdom. And, uh, and so, you know, the great thing about Animal Kingdom is you kind of walk around, it looks great. The, the horrible thing about any of those parks is waiting for a ride. And so, especially if you don't, don't have enough uh, foresight to get a fast pass and all that. So my, my, uh, one of my sons were just really wanting to go on that safari ride, you know, where you get on that thing and you go and you see the animals and all that. And uh, I tried to convince him that I could bring up pictures of a rhino, but no, he wanted to see the real thing. So we did it. And we got to the, the ride and uh, it said that the wait time was two hours and 35 minutes. I tried to bribe him. I tried to give him his first car, to give him my car. And can we do anything but stand in that line? Nope, wanted to see the, you know, wanted to see the animals. Okay, we're going to stand in line. So we stood in line, and as it turns out, it really was only 90 minutes, an hour and a half. But see, in the context, I felt really great about it. See, because in my mind, you see where I'm going? Two hours, 35 minutes. Like, hey, this was fantastic. It was only an hour and a half. Context means stuff. It means something. It matters. I think in our relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a business, a neighborhood, a, a church, these sometimes are our, our hardest moments. When we come to intersections that we may not see the entire story. We may not see the, 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 all the points that go into to, to an, uh, a discussion, a dialogue, a, a difference, all those things. Context matters. The whole story matters. Because see, context brings clarity. Context brings the, this sense of what, what motivated a person. And so we're going to look at, at this important, valuable lesson. Sometimes context doesn't matter. It makes things, uh, you know, just uh, meaningless. Like, oh, actually, in the context of that, you thought something was really big, but in the context of that, you know how some people, when they're, they're um, taking a picture, you know, the people will photobomb them, they'll stand behind them, you know, and sometimes they'll do like little rabbit ears behind. Well, you know, that's kind of funny in some circumstances, but it's not unless, you know, you're a rabbit. I mean, in the context of that, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Lest you think we're in a comedy club, let's get into the Word of God, shall we? We're approaching Easter. It's such a great time of the year. Uh, I think everybody loves this time where, you know, new growth and, and, and spring and just a, it's starting to get a little warm but not, you know, blazing hot yet here in Florida. And there's this anticipation that's in us that it comes because of Easter and the resurrection and, and Palm Sunday and that journey. So our, our path here is going to be towards Easter, towards the resurrection, and the context. A context really at two, two layers. There is a historical context that matters. This is the distinguishing element of who Christ was. It makes a difference in the context of history that Jesus was just not another religious faith leader. The context surrounding makes all the difference. But I'm a firm believer that by the time we walk out of the door on any given Sunday morning, that there's a personal context. 
So the story of Christ, even though it's thousands of years old now, it's still very relevant and it has context in our lives. And so we're going to begin by looking at the context of Jesus explaining his mission on earth. He's sitting at a table and he's explaining to his disciples the context of his whole existence on earth. We're going to hover today in in, uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I love the book of John. I think many of us do. And the reason we do is there's, there's more than facts. John gives us a personal side of Christ. He gives us an eternal side of Christ. He gives us a spiritual dimension of Christ. So all along the way, as you turn to, to John 16, if you have your Bibles or, your, or your, uh, your device, and we'll have the words on the screen as well, but in the context of, uh, of John 16, he's going to explain something that he really had explained a number of times along the journey. In fact, threaded throughout his entire interaction with people, and especially his disciples, he was trying to prepare them for what was going to happen in Jerusalem which was his death, and then consequently his resurrection. And as he explained this, he, as he would and as he always did, he took many different angles at it. There's sometimes that he used metaphors. He would say, uh, once you tear this temple down, three days later it will be rebuilt. Of course, the people around him were, you know, because the temple, the physical temple was sacred, they got offended by that because they didn't understand the context. But he was trying to begin to build a picture Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat, unless a a grain fall to the ground and die, then it can come back. When they looked back at all these things, they understood it. But in the context of their conversations, they didn't get it. So then Jesus says, let me me give them a different context so that they could understand. It It was one of the approaches that he took in order for them to give a clear understanding. Before we get to... um, to John 16, you can just look at the screen at Luke 18. This, you'll see one of the attempts of Jesus explaining what was going to happen on what we would call now Holy Week or the week of the resurrection and the crucifixion. In Luke chapter 18, beginning of verse 31, notice the context. Then he took the 12 aside and he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem And all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. That's the historical context. I'm going to wrap back around, but that is absolutely critical. Then he says, for he will be delivered, Christ will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. There was no more metaphor. This is straight up. We're going to Jerusalem. They're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. They're going to scourge me. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. It's going to be, it's going to be very dramatic. But they understood none of these things. That's remarkable. <laughs> and it's only remarkable because we stand on this side of the context. As he was speaking that, they had another side of context in their mind that every human being, every man that came along that had such a great following would be a leader who would conquer, who would not, it it made no sense to their historical context because every man had the ambition to be over others. And Christ comes along and says, I'm going to volunteer myself 
to be sacrificed and whatever contextual part of their brain was just going haywire because that made no sense. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. Jesus then says, let me explain to you something very important in the context of who I am. And as Christ followers, this is very critical to why we believe Christ is who he says he is. You see, there are those who come along in history, and there's no announcement. There's nothing to say that this person is going to be the savior of the world. Christ is different. Christ is different because of prophecy after prophecy, if you're not familiar with that word, a foretelling, a prediction as it was. That, it, that Christ was going to uh, die for the world, that Christ was going to be the suffering servant, that he was going to be born of a virgin. All of these things predicted and the odds that they all come true, that just 10 of them come true, being predicted so far in advance are absolutely stunning. With all of them coming true, it adds validity to who Christ was. So Christ was saying, let me tell you what's going to happen and let me frame it in the context of hundreds and hundreds of years of those giving prophecy. I will propose to you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When God tells us that the seed will be at enmity with the serpent, that, they will, that, that it will begin right there, began right at the fall. It's, I know that's a heavy thought, but the prophecy of Christ and the need for a Savior began in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, and Christ was the one to come. There are too many faith leaders that just come on the scene, and unannounced, they say, this is who I am. I'm the Messiah. Perhaps you've just uh, seen that in the news, that uh, there was somebody who just said they claimed that they, they were the Messiah, And so there's no announcement, there's no prediction, there's no validation, there's no context for that. It matters greatly. I want you to think of anything valuable, anything valuable that comes out. A new movie, there's trailers, a new car, there's commercials. Everything that comes out that people have invested a lot in, there's something to tell you, hey, here's, it's coming, here's what it's gonna look like, here's how it's gonna uh, feel like, here's what it's gonna sound like, Here, all those things, and uh, they're gonna announce it. Well, why would God be any different in the context of who, that, of who he was? And yet somehow the disciples missed it. They didn't see it. So now we find ourselves in a very intimate moment in John chapter 16 around the table we call the Last Supper now, and Christ begins to open his heart. He gives to them a context. He gives to them a different meaning. Not only here's what's going to happen, you know, in the next coming weeks that I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to give my life. He gives them a context that's past the historical prophecies because they still didn't get it in that context. And being the writer that he is, John says, let me give you an eternal perspective of what Christ told us. And then they got it. It's fascinating. We begin in John chapter 16 and verse 5. Sitting at the table now with his disciples, when all the crowd had gone away, they sequestered themselves and found themselves in a very secret and very intimate setting. And Jesus says these words, now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, 
Where are you going? So Christ begins to drop some, some bread crumbs, and then he's going to get clearer and clearer as he begins to talk to his disciples. The context of what Christ is saying in that statement is that his existence on earth was a visitation. I'm going to quote from Ravi Zacharias, who brilliantly, as he would, says that Christ's existence on earth was not an origination, but a visitation. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. That every human being has their origination here on earth. We came from our mother's womb. Nobody had an origin, nobody lived, nobody existed before we took our, 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 before we were conceived in the womb. We didn't exist out in eternity, and, and then we came into our mother's womb, and then we came out. We didn't exist before we existed. Does this make sense? Christ existed before he existed on earth. He lived in eternity past with the Father, just as alive as he was on earth, just as alive as he is now in eternity, a future and present, Christ came from the Father who sent him. It was a visitation. He did not originate from a natural being, that Christ originated out of the virgin birth because the Holy Spirit came on the virgin Mary and, and uh, conce- he con- she conceived because of the power of the Holy Spirit and, then he, and she gave birth. If you don't know God, you don't know the Bible, you definitely think I'm a nutcase. But it begins with the, the foundation in your mind that there is a God if we don't begin with that foundation, all is lost. That there is a God who spoke everything into existence. And it is no more out of, far, out of reach for us to believe that, that God, the creator of this earth, who spoke light into a, in, into a dark place and it became light. That created by his voice all the, the creatures that teem under the sea that all the plants and bushes all came from what's called ex nihilo, out of nothing. That God, this, this great creator of the universe who just spoke and it came to being. It is not a far reach at all for him to take a human body like Mary's and speak into that through the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ came through the Virgin Mary. It begins with believing that God is, God is able. Once we get off track and we begin to think that this planet and all that exists came from some kind of cell or some kind of a germ or some kind of, you know, all God gets out of the picture and then everything else after that is very confusing because you'll never be able to explain the miracles in the Bible. And then our logic kicks in and then we throw the miracles out. If you start that God is, that he is everything and creates everything, then when we talk about Christ being a visitation that he lived in the past and in the future, then it makes complete sense, of course. This is critical. Why is it critical? It's critical because Christ was the only one who came from the Father with a direct message and mission for this earth. It matters that Christ came from the Father born of a virgin, because he was the only one that was not contaminated by Adam's blood which comes through the seed of a man. That he is the only one that could go to the cross for us. He's the only one that you can look at in your worst moments and know without a shadow of a doubt that you have a pure lamb of God and not just a contaminated religious leader that you can say, God, forgive me all of my sins because of the purity of Christ himself. 
It matters. Context matters. And so in John chapter 16, he continues and he says these words in verse 16 of John 16. He says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean? I've never known Christ to really be into hide and seek. What is he about to do? What does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? And they said, we don't understand still what he was saying. And in the very next verse, Jesus now gives the context. And he saw, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you, you will see me? Don't you love when God does that? You think you have this, quote unquote, private thought that God can't see? And then he comes along, hey, you want to talk about that? <gasps> didn't, know you were, didn't know you were privy of my conversations within my head. He says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's building breadcrumbs to what he's about to say. And what he's saying here in the context of his visitation is critical. What he's saying is that there's a distinction of kingdoms. There's the world, and then there's the kingdom of God. And he said, the world is gonna be happy at the crucifixion. The world who doesn't have in their minds the things of God, as we didn't, by the way, when we, before we came to Christ. The world is thinking in a different measure. The world says, get all you can get. The world cannot see a, a leader, a king on a cross. In context of the world, it makes no sense. And then Jesus said, let me give you some context. And I want you to look then at what happens. In verse 28 in John 16, he says, let me lay it out for you as clear as I can. I came from the Father. And I entered the world. And now I'm leaving the world. I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to read that again. This is such a critical foundation for Jesus Christ and no other man. Listen, listen carefully. No other man can make the claim that Jesus just made. Now, they can make the claim, but they can't validate the claim. Christ validated the claim with the miracles. It wasn't just a religious sideshow, but he said, let me prove to you who I am. I came from the Father before I was born from the Virgin Mary. I entered the world. You notice that he didn't say, hey, and when I had my first birthday, he said, I entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. The reality is not this world. That was just, just a touchdown. Have you ever been in a plane that you think you're landing and then something goes wrong and they take off? It's just that short. Christ is coming in for a landing. 
He touches, he touches base for 33 short years in the realm, in the context of eternity. It's a New York nanosecond divided by a million. Just like that. Christ's existence is here. Just a little touchdown on earth. You want to know something? Personal context. So are you. Life seems so long, doesn't it? Boop. Just like that. Now watch with the disciples, how they respond in the very next verse, in 20, verse 29. Then Jesus' disciple says, now you're speaking clearly. They, I find it, when I first read this, I find it odd that when Jesus said, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, going to be turned over to the Gentiles, going to be scourged, going to be beaten, going to be crucified, I'm going to do all that. Hmm, not getting that. Okay, you guys know all the prophets, and you've read them from, you know, many of you, you guys have read them many, many years, you know them, and so this is what I referred to. Huh, not really uh, tapping into that, not, not getting it. Okay, let me talk to you something really massive. Before life began, I was out in eternity, and I came down just for a short amount of time, and then I'm going back in eternity. Oh, now we get it. That's odd, right? And the reason I think there's clarity is because all of a sudden he took the context from a little spot where it's going to happen in the next few weeks to a bigger spot, historically what's going to happen, to a little bit bigger spot. Hey, there's, there's a world here, but then there's a kingdom here. And then there's this bigger spot like, hey, I want you to think of everything that just happened with all the miracles. I came from God, and I'm going back to God, my Father. I'm like, oh, wow, now I get it. Now it makes complete sense. Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech because there's no metaphors. There's no grain falling to the ground. There's no temples that are being torn down and built in three days. I came from my father. I entered the world. I'm now going back to my father. There was just that clear. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Look at Christ. Finally! <laughs> Finally, you believe at last. Think about that moment. I mean, he, Jesus like, I thought you would get it at the 101 level. We're going to Jerusalem, going to kill. It's going to be super simple. I thought you'd get it. But now you understand because it was the context of who he was. It wasn't just a leader going to be martyred in the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't just an intellectual fulfillment of years of prophecy. It was the Son of God who came from the Father. Maybe you're looking for God today. Let me make a proposal to you. You will never come to Christ unless you come to him with your heart open. We don't come to Christ and say, oh, you know what, I, I guess I'll you know, I guess I'll join a church. I guess I'll believe in these theological concepts. We, this is not how we come to Christ. And I think too many people mistakenly think they've come to Christ by agreeing with the facts. We come to the Son of God, the one and only Son of God who came from the Father and went to the Father because he knows all things and is all things. And when we come to him in that manner, we see God in entirely different light. What is the context in your mind and your heart for who God really is? This was the light bulb that came on for the disciples. Like, wow, you are bigger than we ever imagined. 
Do you know when you truly come to Christ, you know what you say to yourself in your heart? Wow, God is so much bigger than I'd ever imagined. You know when you're going through the crisis that you go through, and maybe some of you are? It is in the moment of trust that you finally say, God is bigger than I really thought that he was. I was trying to figure all this thing out. I was trying to make sure I had all my ducks in a row. Man, I am a fixer. I mean, in my mind, in my heart, when things get in trouble, when, the, when you know, two wheels are off the road, man, I am a fixer. I got, you know, I got all different kinds of options, all kinds of alternate plans, and each of them, when they keep failing, and I think God allows that, that to happen on purpose, it, nothing changes until I come to the end of all of my strategies and recognize that God is bigger than everything, including the thing I'm trying to figure out and all of my plans. How about you? Makes a big difference. Jesus prays for us in the next chapter, in John chapter 17. If you want to turn a page and look at this, it's super critical. Super critical. In the compassion of Christ, he understands we're human beings. Now he understands in this moment of history, this is now after the uh, Lord's Supper, John 17 is the prayer in, in the garden. We have a fuller picture from John, of course. And Jesus prays this in verse 11. He says, Father, I am no longer in the world. My visitation is over. And yet they, the disciples themselves, are still here. This is the critical element of compassion with Christ. Because Christ did not approach the world like this, flying at 10,000 feet above the earth. Christ in his visitation came down and he got us. He understood. So when he's getting ready to go back to the Father, he said, Father, this is going to be glorious for me. But I know they are still here. This is the personal context. In the very next chapter, if you want to turn John 18, verse 36, he was on trial and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This is just a visitation for me. If it were, my servants would do everything in their power to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. This is our personal context of who Christ is. If we are a Christ follower... This world is not our destination. This is not our kingdom. And we don't use that word very often, do we? We don't say, hey, uh, my kingdom. This, you know, in, in certain parts of the world, they'll use the word kingdom. We, we don't. We use the word citizenship or nationality or wh whatever that might be. But it's, kingdom just means where are you going to centralize your heart, your attention, your ambition, your motivation, your reasoning, all that. That is your context. That is the context of your life. Perhaps work for you is, is your kingdom. Perhaps your home is your kingdom. We, we have people that live next to us that make our house look like a shack. I mean, they are constantly, I'm like, didn't you just paint your house last year? I'm like, yeah, okay, just, just checking because we moved in about 16 years ago. Still got the same coat. <laughs> I 
I mean, they are changing it up all the time. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. The only thing wrong with it, I've asked them to come over and help me with my house, and they haven't done anything. But you can tell that this is all we got. You can tell that, that if work or home or kids or family or recreation or whatever, you can tell kind of what a person does with the kingdom is. And Christ, in context, says, look, this place for us is just a visitation. Don't get too used to it where you, become, you embrace the things of the world. You embrace the practices of the world. The practices of this world culture is if I don't get my way, I get ticked off. If I don't get my way, I'm going to build some allies and make sure that we're going to disrupt. This is the way of the world. The, 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 the system of this world, how much can I get for myself? How much can I hold on for myself? There are many systems of this world that, this is, that, that God said, this is not it. Think bigger than that. God is in control, and this is not our place. I'm reminded of, of John chapter 15, verse 9. He says it back at the Last Supper. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you on its own. But because you're not of the world, I, because, but you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The world system is against you. All the things for our self-ambition, they don't match. They don't mesh in the context of who we are. And so we end today with another passage from John in his first letter in John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John's an old man when he writes this. He's been through a lot. He's walked with Christ. He's the one that penned the world, words, I'll remind you, in John chapter 16, that they, they got it. I'm going to propose to you that John may have gotten it before anybody else. John is the one that laid his head on Christ's breast. John is the one that said, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm the one who, who he loved. Does that mean he didn't love anybody else? No. I'm the one he loved a lot. He loved most. And as an old man, John begins to write. He says these words. They don't love the world or the things or the systems of the world. This is our context. We're left behind in our visitation time just like Christ had his. You see, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? It's a brutal truth. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, that's not from the Father. It's of the world. The world, John reminds us, is passing away along with all its desires and systems and ambitions. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You ever shown up to a hospital and someone told you, hey, visiting hours are over? It's kind of a hassle, isn't it? You've parked your car in that darn garage You've, you thought you could find a parking spot miraculously on floor, you know, the first floor, or second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You've wrapped around that parking garage. You put a lot of effort, and finally, you know, you're parked on the top. You might as well have just driven up there in the first place. I love our hospital here in Sarasota, as long as you have GPS on your phone. 
once you get inside. <laughs> there are so many hallways now, you know, and there's only, I think the elevators go up to, uh, to Y now, don't they? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like I'm frustrated. Oh, I've wandered many halls in that hospital. Where am I? You finally get there and they say, hey, visiting hours are over. Like, wow, man, all that effort to get here and visiting hours are over. Listen carefully. Here's our context. You don't want to work hard all your life. And then you're surprised that near the end, whatever your end is, might be 27 years old for some of you, might be 60, 75, whatever, might be this afternoon. Here's what you don't want us to hear. After you've put so much effort into life, hey, visiting hours are over. Christ used his time here so valuably because he understand it was visiting hours. And visiting hours in a hospital are very definite. There's no, there's no kind of gray area. They're very definite. And so is yours. And so is mine. This is why we go to Christ every day of our life. Christ, I know myself. I know, I know how I'm, I'm going to be naturally attached to the world to get what I want, to have my ambitions, to look for what I want, to get out of it, and all those things. That's our natural bent. So we come to Christ for supernatural, above natural a power to say, God, help me live today in these visiting hours as valuably as I can for the kingdom of God, which is not the kingdom of the world. Help me live as valuably today and empower me, God, so that I will not get sucked into the systems and the behavior of the world. Without that prayer, it will just be a human effort, another human effort. We must come to God in the context of this short runway called visitation. Let's pray. Christ, we are so grateful today in the best way that we can as human beings to thank you that your origination was not here on earth. That is profound for us, God, as you know. But Christ, you came from the Father. You existed before you took your first breath on earth. This is unique across all of history for humans. There is no one else. Thank you, God, for all of the, the details of the conversations that we have of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word that is like, it's, it's more valuable than gold. And we read those words, God, in the, in the Bible. We read those words that your, that your word is more valuable, but it's so much more than a statement. It is a reality. We hold in our hands, God, the eternal words of Christ. 
And so as we have this time, we just pause to worship you, Lord Jesus. We, we pause to worship you. Now risen from the dead, having gone back to the Father, the one and only true God. You have our hearts, God, because of who you are. You have our hearts, God, because there is no other. Just like Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And so we bow before you, God. You are beautiful. Lord Jesus, you are the one and true God. Father, today, I pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate context for us. The context of our life is that just like Christ, we have visiting hours. There's a short amount of time. Of course, we were born here, originated here, God, but you've clearly told us that this is not for us the place of our affections, the place of our total attention. This is not the system of heaven, God, where it's get all you can and get it for yourself. It's not the system. We live in a, a different system. This is not a, this is not a culture of, of payback. This is not a culture of selfishness. This is not a culture, God, of, uh, of anything that is against you. This, that's, not, that's not where you've allowed us to be elevated to. God, you've elevated us to a different kingdom, a different system. Without a doubt, there are people in this room that are carrying something heavy today. Some people come in and that, that thing, whatever it is, just seems so monstrous to them. Today, I pray, God, that you will, you will reveal once again, or perhaps the first time, how great you are, how big you are, how true you are, how faithful you are. We pray for those who are experiencing great success right now, that you will help calibrate that success in the context of our visiting hours. That worldly success is not our aim. The kingdom success is. Father, for all of us, help us to, to measure the things that are, that, we, that are the center of our lives. And finally, Father, we pray for those coming to look for you that only you can reveal to them that Christ is the true Savior, the perfect Lamb of God that came into the world, who took on himself the cross, who spilt his blood because it was pure to mysteriously, supernaturally, miraculously cover the sins of the world, to come back from the dead because he was who he said he was the Savior, the Messiah, the true King of the kingdom of God. We pray, God, for this revelation in the hearts of those who are looking for you. It is not, it is not at all impossible for you to reveal this.
And now we pray, God, for that simple movement of heart for those who look for you today, right here in this room. To come to Christ, to say, I exchange my old life, I give you my life, God, in order to get your new one. Please, through the power of Jesus and the cross, would you forgive me of all my sin? Would you ignite new life in me so that I can have a relationship with you? Is that you today? You're not looking for religion. You're looking for the true God. For all of us, Father, we thank you for the prayer of John 17. Jesus recognizing that we are still here. We still are in the force field of the world culture. And so we close this time, God, by humbling ourselves before you. Today and every day, God, to say we are not able. We are not able to rise above the cultural current. So, Father, we crucify ourselves. We give ourselves. We surrender ourselves. We yield ourselves. We give up and ask for the power of the crucified Christ to enter in, to infuse us, to be able to live for you in these visiting hours. Thank you, God, profoundly for Jesus Christ today. Thank you, Father, profoundly for allowing your son to visit. Thank you profoundly, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you profoundly, God, that you have not left us behind. Thank you profoundly, God, that we can know you and walk with you. Thank you profoundly, God, for the visiting hours that we have on this planet. And we'll praise you in the name of Jesus.